shoot, come on. Here we go. Oh, shoot. Here we go again. Technical difficulties already starting off already. Um, welcome to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, and half a dozen other places. I have no idea. So sit back and relax and listen in. Curtis, I am having problems here. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You with me? <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, we should be having live video, but for some reason, just last second, it told me that I'm not authorized and I'm trying to get that back. So bear with me if you're trying to watch on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever else, and hopefully we have it now streaming in just a second here. And come on, give me the little red light, guys. Give me the little red light. Pretty please, determining the target. Here we go. And we got it. Something had to go wrong. Don't you know it? We start off the show and something <laughs> always has to go wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, my goodness. If this is the way it's going to start. It's going to be one hellacious day. <laughs> well, sorry about that, folks. It was just last minute. It just decided that it wasn't going to broadcast to some of the video feeds, and I just got that back up and running again. So if you're trying to log into Facebook, YouTube, and half a dozen other places that we're on, you should be able to find us now. Oh, man, what a scramble. And, and why does it not happen before, before we do the broadcast? It has to do it right smack in the middle of, of starting the login. Never, ever fail. Anyway, we've got ourselves a gang-up show. Um, let me just double-check. Yes, we are up on YouTube, and yes, we are up on Facebook. And are we – yes, we are back up on my homepage, too. My lovely face is staring at you from all across the platforms, and we got it rolling. Oh, man. Um, we have a great guest that you brought to us, Curtis, Debbie Farris. She's the founder of DefendFlorida.org. She's also the author of an interesting book titled Beyond the Breakpoint, How I Survived as a Young Widow and Returned to Joy. Lawrence Lockman would have been with us, but just about an hour before the broadcast, he sent me a quick message. He has a family emergency he must take uh, care of immediately. So our prayers are with him and his family on that. Uh, we do have afterwards from the Heritage Foundation, Spencer Tretien. Tretien? He is the Associate Director of the 2025 Presidential Transition Project at the Heritage Foundation. So we got a lot going on, a lot to talk about, and we're going to have a blast, and we're going to have a lot of fun. And it looks like one of my problems is my lighting here is messed up. <laughs> so we're going to work this out, guys. We will get this up and running and working somehow or other. <laughs> I've got a camera boom right smack in front of my face, and it's blocking oh, the uh, studio light. <laughs> you're, really in the, you're really in the spotlight now. Oh, geez. It's just Like I said, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Um, I have something a little special here before we start our dedication. Uh, yesterday was the 82nd anniversary 
of Pearl Harbor. And I put this short video together to remember Pearl Harbor. So before we start our regular dedication, let me play this. I've got to turn my mic up. Curtis, you weren't able to hear that? No. I missed I, All right. Well, it was the speech from Franklin Delano Roosevelt given on December 8, 1941. Um, and I wanted to play the whole thing. And it was going through yesterday onto um, Skype, and I did a test run on Blog Talk Radio, and everything was playing perfectly before now why? We're in a live show and it doesn't play? I can't answer that. Uh, anyway, this speech you can find up on YouTube, and it is from the Museum of the Pacific. Uh, so you can look that up and, and listen to what Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a lot of the words he spoke back in 1941, translates here into what we're experiencing today, what's going on with Hamas and Hezbollah and our threats from Iran. Uh, you can very easily substitute Japan for, I mean, Iran for Japan in much of his speech. Uh, So I thought it was very, very poignant on the 82nd anniversary of that speech. Uh, We'll try to to get through these technical difficulties, and this is the new computer now. So it did test out yesterday perfectly fine, and why today it's not, I can't answer. Anyway, Those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's show is going to be dedicated to Deputy Sheriff David Bozecker of the Eastland County Sheriff's Office of Texas. His end of watch was July 21st of this year. And this is from Shelley Womack and Noah McKinney from KTAB and KRBC. And they write, support from all across Texas is pouring into Eastland County as the county mourns the loss of Sheriff Deputy David Bozecker, who was fatally wounded in the line of duty Friday night, July 21st. Deputy Bozecker was the first to arrive at a domestic fight call on Highway 183 between Cisco and Rising Star. The Sheriff's Department's press release reports that he was immediately shot upon arrival and sustained a fatal wound from the subject on the scene. Officers were able to apprehend the suspect soon after, and he is now in Stephens County Jail on capital murder charge. KTAB and KRBC reached out to the Eastland County Sheriff's Department for comment, though they understandably are not doing interviews at this time. They did put out a press release on Facebook. Other departments, such as Cisco Fire and Eastland, also are not looking to speak as they want to allow the sheriff's office to be the first when they are ready to. Bozeka was a 21-year veteran of law enforcement. And while he may have served in Eastland County, support is pouring in from all across the state. Images of the black band across the sheriff's badge can be seen on all forms of social media, 
replacing profile pictures in memory of the fallen officer as news spread quickly. In a show of support, Chaplain Ron Leonard from San Antonio, with the Law Enforcement Outreach Program, Operation Safety 91, has offered a prayer in this difficult time. God, I pray that you'll work in a very, very special way in their lives. I pray that the God of all grace, the God of all mercy, will comfort them in this time as they grieve in a very, very difficult days ahead. In Jesus' precious name, amen, Leonard prayed. He also left some words of advice for everyone in the big country and beyond. He said, you and I will go home to our families tonight. These guys that put on the uniform aren't really sure whether they'll make it home or not tonight. But they're still human beings, just like we are. I would encourage them that even six months to a year from now, still come up and say, I still remember you. I'm still praying for you. And that really means a lot to an officer, let it express. And this also from Shelley Womack from KTAB, KRBC. She writes, family, friends, and law enforcement from all over Texas came together to honor the life and legacy of fallen Eastland Deputy David Bozeka. He was fatally wounded when he was fired upon after arriving first on the scene of a domestic disturbance on Friday, July 21. During the service, District 10 Senator Phil King paid tribute to Deputy Bozecker's ultimate sacrifice, highlighting the love and dedication he shared with the community. He said, David, last week, didn't just lay down his life for a friend and you. Every time you put that uniform on or pin on that badge, you're not thinking about just maybe having to lay down your life for a friend. You're saying, I'm willing to go out there today and lay my die." lay my life down for someone that I don't even know. Let me tell you, that's a level of love that very few people understand. But I know David understood that, King said. Bozecker is known for his kindness, compassion, and selflessness. And much more, his wife, Brenda Bozecker, shared the following thoughts. The best thing that I have done for 26 years is every morning when he went to work, I walked to his vehicle. If it was 3 o'clock in the morning or whenever, I walked into his unit. I kissed him every time. And then he would wave our hands, and we would wave goodbye until he was out of sight. And I am so grateful that I've done that because the last time I saw David, I kissed him, and I was waving goodbye. And from his obituary, it reads, David Walter Bozecker, a deputy sheriff in the Eastland County Sheriff's Office, passed away on July 21, 2023. He was 57 years old. He was on a d- domestic call when fatally wounded. David loved hunting, fishing, gardening, and loved working to make a safer place for everyone. He followed his oaths to serve to the best of his ability and pushed himself beyond his limits, worked out all the time to keep his body and mind in shape to handle the jobs of law enforcement. 
David was born in Perrington, Texas on July 13, 1967. He served 21 years in law enforcement, including Weiss County Sheriff's Office, TABC, Texas Game Warden, Comanche Police Department, and was employed by Eastland County Sheriff's Office since 2021. David graduated high school in Midland, Texas, graduated from Tarlington University in Stephenville, Texas, and served in the United States Marine Corps and continued educating himself with hours in law enforcement training by school and field training. He truly went by the Marine and Law Enforcement Code and carried it out every day of his life after college until his last breath. He survived by his much-loved dog, Jackie. Everyone knew how much he loved her. She will miss him as well. David leaves behind a legacy to his law enforcement buddies that will endure through the memories shared with those he loved and respected him. David is survived by his beloved wife, Brenda Elton, and his large and loving family. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff Bozecker. It is dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that served this nation be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. And also dedicated to all the brave men and women who serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to them this song by Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. God bless each and every one. got to be a problem. Let it be. Blog Talk Radio. That was Blog Talk Radio, Curtis. That sound problem is coming yeah. from BTR. That's oh, why we're man. having a problem here. That is a shame. That is an absolute shame. I don't know why they're giving well, us a hard time here. Yeah, I just heard the music. but uh... Let's try this again, because I can hear it on my end. Let's try this one more time. Can you hear this? No. No? No. But I, I just heard something uh, a few seconds back. The song has started. Yeah, but it was breaking up badly. So we got a problem here with Blog Talk Radio. It's not my equipment. It's on their end. It could be even through Skype. Uh, because Skype was showing everything working fine, and I can't answer. So we have no clips to play. So... Uh, we're just going to keep on winging it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Oh, yeah. mm. well, we can do that. I, yes, that we can. That we can. We're waiting for your friend, uh, Debbie, to call in. Uh, Debbie Ferris with uh, Defend Florida. So hopefully she'll be calling in in a few minutes. Um, did you catch the uh, See, debate just at all? Okay. Go ahead. Is... All right. Um, I was going to ask Curtis if uh, he caught the debate, and I mean something we can also talk with Debbie about. Uh, but I would say uh, it didn't look make look uh, Vivek Ramswamy very good, and I don't think uh, Chris Christie got himself any additional points. Uh, I would say if anything, it showed Ron DeSantis much more favorably than we saw with his debate with Gavin Newsom. And Nikki Haley, I said, came out 50-50. She did herself some harm and some good. Um, 
they did point out several things that I've mentioned here in the state of South Carolina, that you did bring in some Chinese companies, and the companies opened their plants awfully close to some military facilities here in the state. Uh, so I don't know how that would play, uh, if she were to make the nomination. Mm. We shall see. We shall see. But as it stands now, um, we do have a caller here, Curtis, and... All right, let's welcome Brian onto the show. Brian, welcome to Southern Sense. You have a question or a comment? Um, yeah, I, I, I did actually want to comment about that debate the other night. Um, okay. Are you talking I, about which, which I, one now? Which one now? The one with DeSantis and uh, Gavin Newsom or the one with the four of them? Uh, uh, the one with the four of them. Uh, the RNC okay. debate the other night, and um, which I caught a number of clips the next day. And, um, you know, the only one on that stage that was really advocating to me for what, you know, what I believe in for like an America first policy was, was really Vivek. He sounded like Trump and whether Vivek is, um, you know, sincere about what he's saying or not. I mean, that's for me and the people that I talk to, um, that's, that's really where, where most of the country's moving and that's where the Republican party's moved. And it sounds like when you hear Haley, and Christie, and unfortunately DeSantis, they want to take the Republican Party back to what it was in 2004, you know, endless wars, um, bad trade deals that send our jobs overseas, you know, not making border security any kind of a real priority, and really focusing on appeasing Wall Street and all the corporate donors um, as opposed to the actual voters. And there's been that, like, you know, chasm that I've seen in my lifetime where – the movers and shakers in the Republican Party, the donors and um, all the consultants, actually have a lot of disdain for people that would vote Republican. And um, the only Republican I've seen in my lifetime that really speaks to the concerns that I would have is Trump. And he's the only well, one I, I believe that has any Trump, kind of a chance to win. I, I do agree on that one, that Trump has the best he's, – he's like 30 points ahead of everyone in the field. Yeah. Uh, Haley's made some progress, but the moment they said the Koch brothers were behind her, I'm sorry. Nikki was my governor, and she's yeah. done some good things, and there was a lot of things that she did that I didn't agree with. Matter of fact, right. we took two busloads of people of, – I brought two busloads up to Columbia to fight her uh-huh. on raising the gas taxes. Uh, she was the one that signed in the gas tax increase here, which we vehemently protested. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. She had brought in companies that were Chinese-owned and allowed them to build awfully close to military bases. And we know how yeah. well that worked out for the rest of the country. Um, she's yeah. got some heavy donors. Uh, J.P. Morgan just turned around. The CEO of J.P. Morgan just turned around and endorsed her. When you see big money yeah. like that coming behind someone like her... I heard, uh, I'm trying to remember who the person was on Newsmax, but uh, he said she is Mitt Romney in high heels. She is. And, and unfortunately, um, that's what DeSantis has turned into. I remember there was a dust up months ago when initially DeSantis said that the um, thing in Ukraine was a territorial dispute. And then one of his big donors said, well, you know, if I wanted MAGA, I'd vote for Trump. I don't want that. And he changed his tune pretty quickly. And so the thing is, is, you know, you're going to take money. The thing is, these big donors from Wall Street, when they give you their money, you know, they're expecting a return on their investment. 
So they're mm-hmm. not going to give you their money unless they feel that you're going to advocate for the policies that they want to advocate for. And in the case of Wall Street, you know, th- their version, their vision of conservatism is this: as long as um, you know, the capital gains taxes are low, and um, you know, you leave hedge funds alone, and we have low corporate taxes. You know, we don't care. We actually support flooding the border with illegal aliens. We support shipping all of our jobs overseas because a lot of the a lot of the production for the multinationals is overseas. We don't care if China is buying up our farmland. We don't care if foreign countries are donating billions of dollars to our universities. We don't care about the culture. We don't care if abortions legalized up till the moment of birth. Of birth. You know, we, we don't care if the working people in the in the country are getting absolutely crushed. Um, so, you know, and what's happened over time is I think what I saw was the Republican Party starting in uh, Republican voters starting in 2006 moved away from that Bush, McCain, Romney, Bush senior Republicanism, that kind of country club Republicanism. And the, the party itself is trying to, you know, I think the party would rather lose the establishment than move it in more of a populist nationalist direction. But that's where the voters are. And that's not just where Republican voters are and independents were, but that's where you can get a lot of the Democratic voters because the Democrats are an, a certainly an elitist, extremist party too. But, um, you know, there's there's a gold mine of voters there if you speak to their concerns. And, you know, the things that Trump talks about, border security, you know, getting out of all these trade deals, tariffs, you know, dealing with all the corruption, getting us out, you know, keeping us away from these foreign entanglements. That has a lot of appeal, but not to not to the donors. And unfortunately, a lot of the politicians, you know, like that two hundred billion dollars they sent to Ukraine, I would bet my life on it that some of that money that they're using to fund the war ends up indirectly back into the pockets of the politicians and their donors, kind of like a money laundering scheme. Plus, how many of these politicians have have taken money from China and how many of them were in Epstein Island? You know, like we saw Durbin the other day didn't want to release the flight logs um, for the air, for Epstein's client list, the, the people that went down to Epstein Island. I mean, you know, we're, we're dealing kind of like with a um, – a very corrupt, immoral cartel, and it's bipartisan in nature, and that's why they hate Trump so much. It, it's it's not about Trump's personality; it's about what he would want to do, and he's upsetting the apple cart. But that's that's the ticket forward for the Republican Party. That's really the ticket forward for the country, and for any other country, any any part of the world. And you saw the elections in Argentina, you saw the um, um, that election in the Netherlands. You know, I mean, every country needs their Trump-like leader. And, and that's that's the way forward. The way forward is going to be with the for countries is, is nationalism, populism, countries that want to preserve their culture and want to move away from globalization because there's nothing in it for the average person, maybe for about the top 500 to 1,000 families. But for everybody else, there's nothing in it for them. Well, there's a lot that you said um, in there. Uh, the Democratic Party had been known as the party of middle America. Just middle America, and that's carried them for for decades. They've now become the party of the elitist by pushing yeah. these social issues that yeah. may not sit very well. Someone may be like a blue dog Democrat or middle of the road. Yeah. Uh, these are the people that are more worried about what their kids are being taught in, in school and whether or not they have the ability to control their children and not leave them in the hands of government yeah. and strangers. 
They want to be able yes. to say, all right, my kid is going to, you know, learn X, Y, Z and be productive in life and go on to college yes. and give me grandbabies. Or are you going to turn around and mutilate them with this transgenderism yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and spoil them for the rest of their lives? Or are you going to be able to help protect my paycheck? Meanwhile, you're out there lobbying for $68 an hour for unionized auto workers who will only work four days a week. <laughs> And I'm struggling just at $15 an hour. I'm sorry. You're no longer the Democratic Party of the mom and pop and grandma and grandpa. You're not the party of the working family anymore. And now the Republicans are sounding more like the party of the working family until you get the elitist in there, like Kevin McCarthy, who says, oh, I'm sorry. I can't work with these guys anymore because they tossed me out of the seat of the the chairmanship, so I'm going to quit. Oh, but don't worry. I'm going to work to back other people to get elected. In other words, he's going to find more rhinos like himself to get elected and do more harm than he would do good. Instead of saying, I still have a Republican voice until the next election, and we're holding the majority by just four seats. If I leave, there'll only be three seats. No. He's done more harm than good. By expelling Sanders at this time and not Menendez, They've done the Republican Party more harm than good. And Sanchez wasn't even convicted of a crime. And yep. yet we have indictments and convictions against Menendez. And he's still sitting there. Uh, can we say Mayorkas? Why hasn't he been in, in, kicked out? Why hasn't he been brought before NMP? Yeah. And we can go on and on and on on the harm that these yeah. guys are doing because they're more yeah. concerned about their own personal power than keeping this country safe. And that's why Trump's message resonates. So that message yes. is resonating with many. However, he's acting like a spoiled child. He's not mature well, enough. Well, he's not, but you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, and I don't want to get make a biblical reference per se, but, I mean, you know, from reading the Bible, I mean, you know, you know a lot of the people that were chosen were very imperfect people. I mean, Mary Magdalene was a mm-hmm. hooker. Read about Paul. Read about a lot of these characters. You know, I find it, you know, very interesting that, um, you know, it, it's like people want this perfect person that doesn't exist. And you know what? I, I'm in my 40s, so I, I don't even really remember Reagan. I was just very little when Reagan was growing up. But, I mean, I remember Bush too and Clinton, um, Bush and Bush one and two and Clinton and Obama. Um, and and they, what they did was um, they, they lied to you eloquently. You know, they were eloquent. They, they seemed not like they seemed nice the way they spoke. And then they did things. They did things that were horrifically bad for the country and the world. And so I at this point. So in other words, I'd rather go with somebody that, you know, uh, tells the truth harshly than lies to me nicely. And um, and, and, and by the way, I think that, um, you know, I think if Trump was nice or like people always talk about. Republicans talk about Reagan. I have to tell you, if Reagan came in with that shtick today, he would get slaughtered because I don't know that he'd be tough enough for it. You know, because you know, as bad as you would want to say the media was in the eighty and 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 the enemies back then, they're far worse today. They're far worse. They're far more vicious. They're far more amoral. And if you don't, if you're not extremely tough, you're going to get slaughtered. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I'd rather ha- – I'd, I'd love to, in a perfect world, have somebody with Trump's policies and kind of like the charisma and speaking ability of like a Reagan or a JFK. But um, this is a different time and place, and, um, you know, it's just what the times call for. 
you know, and 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 it's, well, it's also the best option that we have that's available. If there was a better option available that had Trump's policies and his toughness, and he was more polished, great. But that person doesn't exist. You know, I was, what I was hoping for was that Trump would be 2024 and then DeSantis 2028. But, you know, now it's pretty clear that DeSantis isn't that guy either. He turned his back on, you know, the people that helped him get elected. And he decided that, you know, I, I'm going to listen to my donors and I can win a primary in the presidency because, you know, Trump won't be able to run because he'll, he'll get thrown in jail and the party can move on from MAGA. Whereas the reality is, is that without the Make America Great Again movement, there is no Republican Party. They'd be finished. They'd be done. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for the call in. Our guest ha- is, is on the line now. Um, just, I'm going to put you on mute, and then you can sit back and uh, relax and enjoy the show. Thank you very much for your input. Thank you. Yes. All right, thank Brian. Brian from Pennsylvania. Uh, let's bring into the show our guest for the first time. Welcome to the next victim, uh, Debbie Ferris. Good afternoon, Debbie. How are you today? Hi, Annie. How are you? I am doing fine, doing fine. If I can get past all the technical difficulties my, <laughs> my, my thing is having, it's like nothing. It's a brand new computer. Everything should be working fine, but it's not the computer. It's the internet download that's giving me a headache. Listen, yeah. You are the, you are the uh, founder of DefendFlorida.org. Also, you are the author of a new book. Oh, yeah, I just had it right here in front of my hand. Well, it came out, I believe, two years ago you wrote it, uh, titled Beyond the Breakpoint, How I Survived as a Young Widow and Returned to Joy. And i got to tell you something. I Just looking at the title, it hit me in a really hard way uh, because I lost my husband three years ago. And I, I had a climb back from joy so I could understand that. I didn't have little kids with me. I had a 90-year-old a mother with a stroke victim. So I had my hands full so I could understand this perspective and trying to climb back and reclaim your life afterwards. It takes a strong person, and God bless you for that. Well, thank you. I did want to correct. I am not the, the founder of Defend Florida. I am currently one of the, the leaders, executive leadership, but I am not the founder. Um, but I have been ah. in Defense Florida for a, a, a long while, two years, three years. It seems like a lifetime at this point. <laughs> but, I'll trade you. Yeah, it is 14 years I've been doing the tea party here. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's a fight out there. <laughs> yes. A tea party still exists, my, my, and it's here in my county. <laughs> my awakening started, actually, um, when I finished the book. I wrote the book during COVID lockdown, which was a, a very good use of those months, I would say. And uh, we, were, we were coming out of the lockdown, actually. I published it in November, actually in October of 2020. And then, um, then November 3rd hit. And that's when I, my eyes just started awakening as to what was happening in this country. Um, I think I was very... Uh, not asleep. I wouldn't say that's the word, but, you know, my husband had passed away in 2010, and I just kind of hunkered down and poured myself into the task of raising my son. And so I turned off the media. Um, I, I live in Florida, and I would tell my friends, if a hurricane is coming, you need to give me a call because I will not know. And um, 
And so I was in that world, you know, just raising the boys. They were very young. Um, my eldest was 10. My youngest was 2. And so those were those years where I just was not even know. I did not know what was going on politically in the country. I didn't care. I was sick of it all. I was, it was just not, not anything to pay attention until 2020. And then that's when, um, with COVID, um, I started peeling the onion. And I started to cry. <laughs> And I think I've been crying since then. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. It's, 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 very, it's just stunning. It is stunning. But I, I will say that I had a very um, intense learning curve, you know, from when the election, a few days after the election. I'm from Venezuela. Um, Banana Republics, we're familiar with them. And I was like, something is really, really wrong here. And over the next coming months, I just followed the math, I followed the statistics, I followed logic and reason, and I came to the conclusion that this election was um, stolen from us, and it makes me so, so sad. I, it just is so tragic. Um, one of the things that, uh, again, because I don't watch the media, I had not realized how terrible they had portrayed those who had been in, um, in the Capitol on January 6th, and um, I was not really quite aware of what the media had said about them until a year later, and I saw the coverage, and it was just stunning because I can tell you that that was the most beautiful, peaceful, patriotic assembly um, in this country, attended over well over a million and a half people. So... You know, it's ironic that, you know, we have the insurrection of some, some individuals going into the Capitol. Yet if you watch the video, and now most of the video has been released, it's open for the public to watch. It's uh, mm -hmm. amazing that they actually are able to identify the FBI informants in the crowd that were directing people into the Capitol. And you see the police moving the barricades aside to let them through. You see them posing mm -hmm. pictures with these alleged insurrectionists. So how mm -hmm. violent was it? And the only people that died from violence were the, the civilians. No one recognizes the fact that two women were killed because of Capitol Police actions. Two yes. civilians. It, it, is, it has been completely propagandized, uh, lied about. Um, it is not the truth, and um, and yes, there were some actions, but it was not the general vast majority of the people that were there. Um, and so, you know, I just um, I just stand on truth on what I know, and I I am very very involved in I like to call it election security because we do not have any election integrity. And so we have to secure the elections, and that's that's the lane that I play in. But I'm aware of a lot of other things because you know you're just in this ecosystem, and you just hear of you know everything that's happening in this country, and it's just astonishing. Well, I, I oh, pulled Debbie. up your, your website, Defend. I, I, I pulled up the website, Defend America, and I was looking at what you guys are doing in Florida, and a lot of these very same things are what we did here in South Carolina. And we did change our election laws, mainly because of what my county GOP did. They were it, the bill that passed 
here in Columbia, South Carolina, is known as the mm-hmm. Buford Election Integrity. Uh, because our county, we sent up a, a, a group of people over there that knew what to look for, and they actually looked at laws that were on the books that was allowing uh, for mm-hmm. to possibly exist. And they were able to get that overturned, new bill put in place, that stopped the uh, ballot trafficking, the lock, the uh, mm-hmm. ballot boxes out in public. They stopped all of that. They stopped all of that, and that's what you guys are trying to do in Florida. Yes, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, we've been in, in this lane since 2021. Um, I just got back from Tallahassee um, two days ago. And um, yesterday we had a very successful meeting with the Elections and Ethics Committee. Um, so people are showing up, and that's the important thing. You know, um, had it not been for a handful of people two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we wouldn't even be having the conversation about verifying citizenship and cleaning up the voter rolls and dealing with the absentee ballots and other, other topics because um, we, a small group of citizens, got those bills into draft form. They were, we had counted on one legislator to do it. He, I don't know what he did. He dropped the ball. He, I'm just going to say he dropped the ball and that would be the most um, cordial way of portraying what he did. I could use some other adjectives, but that being said, we got them, (laughs) I'm trying to be polite here. Um, But yeah, we got them into draft and now this last week we, we were shopping for sponsors and just, you know, um, advocating for that. And we really need people to get involved in the legislative process. I mean, these um, politicians, you know, many of them don't even listen to conservative radio or conservative news. They're being fed what is being seen on Fox. That is their source of information. And we all, I don't know about where you stand, but I I mean, Fox is um, a little bit less than uh, uh, left of, 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 um, of center here. So, um, Mm-hmm. They're not very well informed as to what's going on, really going on. So people need to, to, to you know, make an appointment with their local legislator, make some phone calls, and express this concern. Um, yeah, I just... I find... Go ahead, Go ahead. Chuck. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah. All right. Hello? I just okay. want to add that according to this um, January 6th, um, event, that's what I call it. What's missing is the fact that nobody mentions that we have a right to to protest and to voice our opinions if we felt that the elections weren't were not fair, you know. And that includes the president, you know, he has a right to Donald Trump. And I mean you didn't hear anything of this sort, like a backlash when um they denied that um Trump you know, was a, you know, illegitimate president. I mean, all throughout the mm-hmm. left media and whatnot, they mm-hmm. were saying he's not, you know, legitimate and and he didn't win and things like that. So, you know, we have to, I think we have to distinguish between the two, um, the two differences in the way these things are reported um, when it concerns the left and when it has to do with the right. Um, it's just, you know, it's like our justice system is two tier, and it's it's not well, fair. But I think if we keep pounding at the truth of what happened, you know, to get through to some people. 
Well, one of the things that concerns me, and I, I mean, I, I can honestly say that um, I would probably, I don't blame the public. If you have never lived it, you do not understand it. But we are going through right now with Banana Republic tactics. And I can honestly say that I know this because I am from the Banana Republics. I was born in Panama and I was raised in Venezuela. And, um, and this, the way this is going down, um, we are mirroring those tactics, the political persecution of your opposition, the rampant corruption, the insecurity, the subversion of the vote. Uh, watch out. You know, this country will be something totally different if we don't retake it because that is what happened in Venezuela in, in a, less than a generation. It is astonishing. Um, when I grew up there, we were a very wealthy country. Um, no one ever thought. We had such a long tradition of democracy. It was the oldest democracy in South America, um, having overthrown a military dictatorship in 1958. And since then, Venezuela was, was it was taught we were so proud of our, demo, our democratic pro process, of our electoral process, and you know all the things that came with that. But in less than a generation, it is gone. And all it took was a lot of corruption, um, a man that came in that said he was going to change things. People were tired of the of the rampant corruption that was going on. They voted for Chavez, and then, as they say, the rest is history. Right now. Um, Eight million Venezuelans, one-fourth of the country, is living outside, scattered around the world. And um, with that has gone the brain power, the talent, um, the, the necessary human capital that is needed to rebuild that country. And it's never going to go back to what I remember, unfortunately. Um, and so I see what is happening here in, in the United States. And, you know, it's almost like a, a bread and circus. There's so much bread and there's so much circus that everybody's distracted with the football games and with the media and, you know, the new songs and the basketball and all of these distractions. And meanwhile, the country is going down the, down the tubes. And, um, and we don't have that much time before it all changes. So I just hope no, that by being on this platform that you guys have so graciously invited me, I can encourage your listeners to get involved. Oh, I have, I've been saying that since day one, and we're entering year 14 of me doing this broadcast. And I always say politics starts local. Know what's going on around you, whether it's your school board, your local council, dog catcher, uh, whoever it is, you know, because when these people get voted in, most of them will advance politically up the political ladder to the state and then into the federal. So you've got mm -hmm. to pay attention to what's going on around you. And if you think the southern border has nothing to do with you in your local town in the back end of this nation, think again. Because the cost of these illegal aliens on your school system, on your medical system, hospital ER visits, uh, on the criminal justice system, and how it is diluting the workforce. I mean, how many would e eagerly hire an illegal alien for cash so they can hide money or hide whatever it is they're doing rather than paying someone and having to report it to the IRS and whatever else federal agency they have, state agency they have to report it to? How many people would do that? 
it affects everything in our nation. And I, I, I am the only second generation American. And I can't even imagine the heartache that people are having that try to come here legally and then only to find that someone who comes across illegally gets everything handed to them. They get money for Section 8 housing. They get food stamps. They get everything, medical care. They get everything. And yet if you come here legally, you've got to break your bank account just to pay for the attorneys and the paperwork. It's not fair. What happens to equal protection uh, under the law? I I can speak to that. I was um, I started I came here to the United States in 1991 on a student visa, and it took me a decade to become an American citizen. By then, I was a taxpayer. Um, my kids were uh, born here, um, and I didn't cost this country a cent. In my, I was already educated. My parents paid for that. Um, but what I will say is in the decade that it took, I got to understand how this country worked. I got to appreciate the values, uh, the system, um, and, and all the benefits. So I was very proud to become an American citizen. And um, I don't think that's going to be the process anymore. So as a naturalized citizen, I don't want my vote to be diluted. I don't want to be paying taxes. You know, it just has so many layers. And I know that there are a lot of hardworking people that come to this country because they want to forge a new, you know, new horizons. And that's, I would say that's the majority. But right now, with the very lax policies that have been implemented, you have all kinds of um, individuals that are not here for those reasons. I don't know if your listeners know that there have been 80,000-plus special interest aliens that have been admitted to this country. So a special interest alien is someone that has been flagged because they are coming in from a country that sponsors terrorism, such as Syria, Yemen, and others. And in the past, in the last 20 years, since since 9-11, um, anyone that was coming from those countries was flagged, and they had approximately between 1,000 and 2,000 that were returned to, you know, identified and returned to their countries. That happened in the past. In the last two years, these um, special interest aliens have been identified, have been allowed to come into the country to the tune of 80,000. That is a whole entire army. That's not a division. That's the whole entire army. And so we have been invaded. And last month, um, FairUS.org sent a bunch of us up to Washington, D.C., where we walked from senator office to representative office to senator office. We went to all these senators and representatives' offices pushing for H.R. 2 and the Senate version to marry to H.R. 2. And I don't know if we made any headway. But I am hearing now people from the House, some, and I recognize a couple of the uh, representatives that we spoke to, uh, are now saying we need something closer to H.R. 2 coming out of the Senate. So, yes, our voices do matter. You may think that you're just a little uh, single individual that you have no power. Yes, your voice has power. You've proved it, Debbie. 
and I'm hoping I'm proving it by just being here on air. But I'm also doing it with my Tea Party by being active in my county GOP and then answering the call when other grassroots organizations say, we need you to stand up and speak. And, you know, I'm hoping that we can change this and turn the tide that our nation's heading it on. Um, our, our massive invasion by illegal aliens is hurting us deeply. And a simple example is those pro-Palestinian protests that we have been seeing. We've got people up from J6 being sentenced to 27, 28 years behind bars for breaching the Capitol. And yet you've got massive violent riots where people are getting hurt by enemies of our country and no one does anything. We've got to turn this around and fast. I, I could not agree more with you. One of the things that really puzzles me is the fact that those poor people of Lahaina in Maui, you know, who lost their homes and um, are destitute, children that are missing, the federal government has sent them, I think, $700 per household. Yep. And yet we are sending mm-hmm. billions over to the Ukraine and uh, you know, the Middle East and Israel and Iraq. Is it Iraq or Iran? And I'm like, why, yeah, yeah. why is that money not being used for the own people of this country? It doesn't make any sense now, whatsoever our, what's happening on, on such a level. No, and our, our veterans are being ejected from hotels and uh, adult uh, homes. Uh, we have veterans that are living on the street, and we don't help them at all. And yet, we pay these illegal aliens when they come over money. And then we pay these yes. NGOs, non-government agencies, to process these individuals. So they're making money. Our taxpayer money is helping to further propagate the crime. And Again, I, these are issues I, that were addressed you, in HR2. Yes. Well, you know, I, uh, I, again, because I chose a very narrow lane, once, you know, you see the problem and it seems really, really big. But what I did is I focused on the elections and I focused here in Florida in advancing that. So, um, you know, hopefully we can get there. But one of the other projects that I was, I'm really excited about is something that happened here in Florida, which I think should be done all over the country, which is holding your elected officials accountable in a very public setting. So um, a group of citizens in the area of uh, Ormond Beach and St. Augustine in that whole area uh, researched one of the politicians and just presented his vote, how they mirror, how they benefit certain industries, and how the donations to his political um, action committee, his PAC, mirror those votes. And I just thought that was an amazing effort, Um, something that that can be done all around the country. I'll be happy to send you a video of the whole event so you can take a look at it. Um, Uh, I I did catch a lot uh, of it. I I did watch some of your interviews online and, and caught a couple of those. And yeah, rightfully so, we do need to call our politicians out uh, on what they do. 
Um, I just wish we could get Lindsey Graham to finally be embarrassed by half the crap he pulls over here. <laughs> but I don't think there's any way to shame this man. And I've actually gone physically nose to nose and toe to toe with Lindsey Graham. And if anyone's ever seen him, he's only about five foot three, and I'm five foot three. So when I stood in front of him, I was nose to nose and toe to toe. But we got to. We have to turn around and challenge them. If we disagree with what they're doing, contact their office. And I tell everyone this. You either call, you email, you write a letter, you make your opinion known. And those offices, those aides, they keep track of who calls, how many times they call, and what the topic is and what your stance is. Mm-hmm. And the more you yes. call, the more they're going to listen. Well, the metrics from what I, I understand is five calls gets their attention by calls on the same subject matter. 20 calls, just 20, is considered a crisis. So it's that, that, it's the, the bar is so low on citizen involvement that if 20 people called about a particular concern, they would consider that a crisis, especially if you're from his district. Yeah, go ahead, Curtis. Did we lose oh, I was just adding that, you know, if it's a, a crisis at 20 calls, that will catch their attention. I mean, think about, mm-hmm. you know, a thousand people calling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, we still have Debbie, right? Yes, we do. We still have Debbie. Okay. Yes. Sound yeah. like she had yeah. dropped off. No. Um, one of the things that you had um, – that I saw that Curtis sent me was that the uh, narrative on voter registration in Florida. And I find it very interesting um, because we've been fighting the motor voter laws. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's one thing I don't. Yeah. You should not go in there and get your driver's license and then automatically be uh, enrolled in voter registration. No, no, that's two completely separate things. So that's allowing a lot of illegal aliens or out-of-staters to vote in our local and uh, federal elections. Um, but Correct. you addressed, and I saw in this uh, report, um, how the voter numbers don't always jive. They come close, but they don't always. And then when you see a big discrepancy, you guys address it. That is important. And especially in a state where you've got a lot of transient people coming through in Florida, people that are only going to be there, say, for like three months or so. Uh, yeah, and you know, no. one of the things that I would like to dispel, um, given your, your audience and your program, is that, you know, Governor DeSantis came out saying that Florida was the golden standard for elections. The truth of the matter is, is that we never were the golden standard, not in 2020 and, and not before. We just updated significantly in the last 20 years because of the, the debacle with the hanging chad in the Bush versus Gore um, election. So, Florida has actually descended from being third in terms of voting standards to seventh. And that's one of the big contentions that we have with our legislator is educating them in the fact that we do not have um, security in our elections. And one of those, you know, one of those many areas I'll give as an example is the fact that um, right now uh, there's a a metric called the CVAP. It's basically the citizens of voting age, 
So when you take your citizens of voting age, and you can do that, you know, based on census data or whatnot, those who are eligible to vote versus those that are registered to vote, you would imagine that you would have less, less, uh, a lower number, right? Because not everybody that is able to vote is registered to vote. Well, in some Florida counties, you have a number that exceeds the number of citizens registered to vote. Like, hello, right? So that's one metric that we have going on. Um, The other one is, you know, chain of custody. Some some counties in Florida, we have very good chain of custody, but others, you know, others, you you drop off your your absentee ballots in mailboxes with a one-way slot, and in others, you just have um, pretty much a bag with a zipper and no one watching. So we don't have a we don't have standardization of the processes. The other thing that our team of risk assessment um, and these are all volunteers. They're just wonderful. Everybody that has you know knows in their gut that something is wrong and and you know just said I'm going to get involved. So we have uh, two or three people, maybe four that actually five or six that have backgrounds in you know, the banking industry, cybersecurity, the Department of Defense, et cetera. And um, they're looking at the cyber side of things. And, you know, if you've been in the financial services industry for the last 15 years, you don't get a computer that has a, a USB port or a little, um, you know, jump drive ability. You just don't. That's, that's no longer available. Well, our voting machines are full of those insertion mechanisms. So modems, you know, connectivity, everybody's like, no, they're not connected to the Internet. Well, they are. So we have a lot of problems here in Florida. And that's what the work that we've been doing for the last couple of months has been to address all of those issues. Well, it has been a lot... It has been a lot of fun with you, Debbie. I wish we had more time, but I got my next guest from Heritage Foundation in on the line. Um, we've got to have you back because there's so much more to talk about. And um, one of the things that uh, we did here in, in South Carolina, we have, I think, 46 counties. Each county had its own way of handling elections. And we finally yep. unified it into one system, which sounds like that's the same thing you're working on. Um, I wish mm-hmm. I could have the person that did it here to talk to you, just to tell her, you what she did. And matter of fact, she is a legal uh, uh, naturalized citizen from China who worked on our election laws. <laughs> so you guys know what it is to live in freedom. Yep. Well, we know, no, we know what it is to run away from communism. <laughs> and it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for this invitation. Thank you, CS. Oh, All right. you're welcome. God bless, Debbie, for the welcome. hard work you do. And we'll have you we'll back, you back on. Bye, guys. All right. All right. Uh, check Bye. out defendflorida.org with Debbie Ferris and all the wonderful people she has over there working on election integrity, which brings us to our next guest from the Heritage Foundation, and I know I'm going to butcher his last name, and he's already cringing, going, oh, please don't make it too bad. <laughs> Spencer Tretien, did I say that correctly? It's Spencer Cradian. Yeah, you, you were pretty close. Cradian. Thanks for having me on. Cradian. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be a hard or soft seat. <laughs> um, oh, no worries. You are working. 
you are working on the 2025 Presidential Transition Project at the Heritage Foundation, and um, it is a really noteworthy thing. One of the things is that when Trump took office, I couldn't help but scream at the TV, like, kick everyone out, start with a clean slate, don't take any for one left over, and don't let a rhino tell you who to put in office. Finally, someone heard me, and you guys have heard me over at Heritage, and you're going to help him clean the slate and put responsible people in office. Is that true? Are we going to actually have an honest government or partially honest government? Sure. Well, Project 2025, uh, as you point out, we're organized by the Heritage Foundation. We now include more than 80 conservative organizations from all across the country on all parts of our movement. Um, And what we're doing is getting ready to deconstruct the administrative state. We are candidate agnostic. Uh, We we, uh, do not support or speak for any presidential candidate. But what our goal is, is that Whoever the next president is, we're going to be ready on day one uh, to go to Washington to bring new people to work for the next president uh, and make sure that the next president has a team that is committed to actually changing the culture in Washington and to reasserting the principle that, you know, there has to be political control of the bureaucracy. You can't have an independent, unelected, unaccountable administrative state that we have now. And so, yes, it's at project2025.org. The project is organized into four pillars. The first pillar is our policy book, Mandate for Leadership. Uh, It's more than 900 pages, but you can read it online at project2025.org, and it outlines what the next conservative president is going to need to do at each federal agency. We also have a presidential personnel database. If you are interested in coming to Washington in 2025, or you know people who are interested in, in coming to Washington to work on behalf of the president and fight to take down the deep state, uh, sign up for that. We also have a training academy. You know, when it comes to uh, the, the national capital region, we are behind the left. Um, they, uh, you know, you, you look at how, how D.C. votes. Uh, you look at how the political donations are made by people who work for the government. Well, we've got to – so we're, we're – they have a bigger pool to draw from. We've got to get our people trained up ahead of time. We've got to uh, demystify serving in government for conservatives. So that's also part of this project. Um, and then we're also working on transition plans for each federal agency um, so that the next president and his or her team will will be ready to go on day one. So that's Project 2025 in a nutshell, and we, we are building the infrastructure on the right so that we'll actually be able to have successful presidential transitions and presidential administrations and that the American people will get what they voted for if they elect a conservative president. Well, you wrote an excellent um, commentary about Project 2025 back in January. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. I do my homework. I do read these things. Right. And um, I, do, I do find it very amazing, and you stated this, that conservatives, when they do make it into an administration, they don't know how to take control, how to seize power, how, how to run these mm-hmm. agencies. We're on the mindset that smaller is better, less hands-on is better, let the machinery do its job. Uh, yet, that's how we get ourselves into trouble all the time. We don't 
grab those reins of power. We don't say, no, this is how it's going to be done, and this is how we're going to downsize and give people more freedom and more options and get government out of their hair. We don't know how to do that. Yeah, we um, <clears throat> serving in government does not come as naturally to conservatives as it does to the left. Um, and so we're, we're playing from behind here. We, we are behind the eight ball. Um, the left is always thinking about presidential transitions. They're always thinking about presidential administrations. They always have their list of people, their friends. Um, you know, they, they're very good at the art of public administration. But conservatives aren't, and we need to, um, to build that infrastructure, which is what we're doing through Project 2025. And um, you're right that we absolutely want a small, leaner, more efficient, more accountable federal government. We call for turning power back over to the states, turning power over to the people, uh, decentralizing the role of Washington. But that does not mean that we can just abdicate serving in the government to the left. We've got to be uh, getting our people trained up ahead of time and serving as political appointees on behalf of the next conservative president so that we actually can um, we actually can uh, deliver conservative change and honor the results of, of a conservative presidential election rather than always getting tripped up and uh, pushed around by the part of Washington that doesn't change. Well, we have bureaucracies upon bureaucracies in government, and you have agencies probably still in existence since the Civil War that have no purpose whatsoever, but they still function because you can't get rid of these people and you can't close the doors. Something Trump was trying to do, um, with your Project 2025, are you going to be looking at these obsolete agencies and maybe seeing if you, we can shutter some of them? Uh, is that going to be part of what your people will be doing when they finally do get into a Fingers crossed, Trump administration. Well, yes, we we call for the closure of of certain agencies. Um, we want to dismantle entire agencies and offices. We want to, uh, you know, turn functions of the federal government over to uh, states and localities, local communities. Um, but we also know that you know to eliminate an agency most likely takes uh, an act of Congress. Congress uh, does not really pass a lot of bills. They've, uh, I don't know of any time they've actually eliminated a government program. So while we do um, support eliminating certain agencies, we also want to make sure that, you know, if Congress doesn't go that route, um, we are able to run those agencies in as conservative a direction as possible, that we're able to exercise effective political control of those agencies um, so that that we can uh, you know use our use our uh, power to to reduce the size and scope of government and um, use uh, the, the power of the federal government for conservative purposes that that the people hopefully are going to vote for next year but I, what I like is in the editorial you have what you called the conservative LinkedIn and this would be a personnel mm -hmm. database that the administration can turn around and say, well, I need someone who is an expert in or has access to, mm -hmm. and they can let their fingers do the walking and say, all right, fine, this person has been already vetted. Let's call them in for an interview. I like that idea. 
Yeah, well, thank you. It's, so it's live at uh, project2025.org, our database. Um, I wrote that piece, um, you know, a, a while ago, but it, since then it has, uh, it has gone live at project2025.org. You can make your profile. You can fill out your profile. And, you know, it's an opportunity for people who want to work in Washington for the next conservative president, or maybe they just are interested in what the process is like. You can, you can tell us. What are your areas of expertise? What is your experience? What is um, what's your your favorite uh, federal agency? You know, where would you make the most sense for the future conservative administration to come in and come work? And so uh, we we've we've put that together. Um, it's a state of the art system. You know, uh, it's it's uh, it, it looks kind of like a LinkedIn. You have the opportunity to to make your own profile fill it out, you know, submit um, uh, letters of recommendation, tell us what your interests are, what your experience are, what your experiences are, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able, hopefully, to submit whole slates of recommendations to the next conservative presidential administration, to the official transition. And, you know, we've seen in the past that when a conservative president wins, whether it's President Trump or President Reagan, you know, after the election, there's a mad rush of everybody trying to get in in the last couple months. What we say is we're doing that work now, more than a year before the next president will take office. So people should get involved now, and uh, we hopefully won't have the problems that we've had in the past when everybody suddenly uh, comes in, you know, who, who didn't uh, do anything to, to help prepare uh, for the next presidential administration ahead of time. I always find it funny because uh, uh, I was up at the governor's mansion here in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, when Mark Sanford mm-hmm. was leaving his final Christmas. He was mm-hmm. up there, and I'm standing there. He was in the back corner, and I walk up to him, and he, his family goes to my church, so I know him. Um, and mm-hmm. I, he had this long look in his face. I said, Mark, what's wrong? He goes, the vultures are out. And it took me a few minutes to realize people were walking up and begging for jobs. In government, because mm-hmm. know once he's gone, it'll be impossible to remove them from their position, short of a stick of dynamite yep. underneath their tush. But this is what is it, it is the most ideal job opportunity if anyone wants to have their career in a government seat. You, you go in at the end of the term, you get that, that job, and then, boom, you're already doing it. New administration comes in. They don't know what they're doing, so you're going to be staying, and they're going to be relied on, like Fauci is a good example. Yeah, and um, I think uh, the state capitals are kind of a beast unto themselves, but you have not only the D.C. swamp, but but you also have the Columbia swamp, and uh, conservative governors face a lot of the same issues that conservative presidents face with respect to the bureaucratic nature of the uh, administrative state in their, in their capital and with respect to the... Um, you know, the influence of lobbyists and, and industry that really capture uh, so many so many people and, and so many uh, aspects of state and local government. So one day I, it, it's, it'll be my hope that we can actually not only um, take down the deep state at the federal level, but we can also uh, do it in all of our 50 great states and, um, and make sure that, that uh, you know, conservative governors are, are in a position to succeed and you know, we want people who are who are uh, not just out to get the next thing on their resume. We want people who are going to uh, get to the office early, stay late, 
work hard and fight hard against the uh, the liberal deep state on behalf of the next conservative president. So it's um, uh, that story is is not surprising to me, and I'm sure uh, conservative governors in South Carolina have have kind of dealt with with some of the same problems. Yeah, if you remember, uh, one of the first things Mark Sanford did when he did become governor for his first term, he walked into the legislative body with carrying a pig. You've got to cut the pork if you remember yeah. that. <laughs> Boy, did he take some heat for that. Oh, man. Yeah, there's but, so much uh, spending that is just on uh, <laughs> so much spending that's just that just nobody ever cuts. Yes. Well, one of the things you talk about in the, your commentary and what you're working on in Project 2025 um, is going after the big three uh, three letter agencies: the FBI, the CIA, the DHS. Mm-hmm. And if anyone watched Ray testifying before Congress, and also now Lindsey Graham woke up, uh, <clears throat> gotta love my senator. I say, oh, the red mm-hmm. lights are flashing. Uh, we've been screaming for a long time that the lights are flashing, that we're in problem, trouble here. And if you look at the way that Trump has been treated with the FBI investigation, the Russia uh, collusion, blah, 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 while he was trying to run for re-election compared to how they're treating Joe Biden and Hunter, and the yeah. FBI says, no, we can't comment. It's an election season. Okay, mm-hmm. it's fine. Under Trump, you can do it, but under Biden. So going after these three-letter agencies, is very important, I think, to every American person. When you find yourself censored on uh, social media networks and you find yourself because you attended the rally on January 6th or simply were in D.C. on January 6th, you may be under investigation. This is this is worse than the um, Homeland Security bill. It's on steroids. Yeah, we've got two tiers of justice in this country. We, we as conservatives, are dealing with a government that's been weaponized against us, whether it's parents uh, attending school board meetings or uh, Catholics like me who, who like mass and Latin, or whether it is um, the DOJ indicting the, the leading political opponent of the current president. Um, and we, uh, we call in our policy book, Mandate for Leadership, to um, – you know, bring full accountability to everybody who who was um, culpable in the the Russia collusion hoax. We call for accountability for the uh, the folks who who said that Hunter Biden's laptop was was actually Russian disinformation and staked their whole reputation on that. Um, and we we call for um, you know reforms that will actually honor our constitution, that will honor our proud tradition in this country of. Uh, you know, doing right by the the rule of law, uh, and it's it is very alarming when you consider how much power the government has to spy on Americans, to surveil us, uh, to censor us, whether it's online or um, or censor us in terms of the content that we can see. Um, so it is uh, it's it's a lot that we have to. Uh, to get ready uh, to take down in 2025. And we need more political control over those three-letter agencies that you mentioned, the, the CIA, the FBI, um, the NSA. There, there are hardly any people there who actually can be fired by the president, uh, who actually can be hired and fired by the president. They're sort of considered to be, um, you know, just above politics. But I think what we find is that 
in a day when everything is politicized, you actually can't take the politics out of politics. We need more robust political control of the whole bureaucracy, 2.2 million people, uh, but also especially of those agencies that have amassed so much power and that uh, can, can do great damage to the country that we love. Well, you say there's, there's um, what was it, five things? I forget. Where's that article? Here we go. Um, four or five things that people can do uh, to help. Uh-huh. Um, and you, you say that the yeah. average person, you make yourself familiar, familiar with the mandate for leadership, which they'll find on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, you're telling them to create their profile if they're interested and as you say, sent Mr. or Mrs. Smith to Washington, D.C., citing the uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart movie, which I loved. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Sign up for the Presidential Administration Academy. Tell me about that. Sure. Well, <clears throat> the Presidential Administration Academy is for people who want to learn about what it's like to serve at the pleasure of the president. Um, so when you're a conservative and you arrive in Washington – and your first day, your agency, you're starting to work uh, on behalf of the president, there is no owner's manual sitting there on the desk. Um, you're going to spend your first uh, few few days just learning where the bathroom is, learning how to navigate uh, uh, the federal bureaucracy, navigate a federal agency. Um, and there are a whole bunch of things that you um, are going to have to do if you're working for the president. You need to know how to obtain a security clearance, how to, how to do your financial disclosure, how to work with the media, um, how to, if you're moving to D.C., uh, you might have questions about uh, how, how am I going to live in D.C., what is the housing market like, where are my kids going to go to school. Um, so all of those sorts of questions we are uh, <clears throat> seeking to explore through our Presidential Administration Academy. We're training people up ahead of time um, so that we will be able to hit the ground running on day one and that we will be just as good as the left at uh, deconstructing at, at, in our case, deconstructing this bureaucracy. So if you've ever wondered what it's like to, to, uh, to serve the president, we've got a series of lectures they are online. It's virtual at project 2025.org um, online classes, quizzes, reading materials. Um, and you'll hear from experts who've served in, past presidential administrations. You'll also hear from people who've worked in the conservative movement on presidential transitions and um, other uh, government roles, roles on Capitol Hill, for example. Uh, and and we've, we've put together this academy so that folks will be able to, um, to get some knowledge ahead of time about what, it, what, what to expect um, under a conservative president and, and what they need to be thinking about as they, if they're going to be working for the next conservative president. Spencer. This is CS. Um, I know the bureaucracy is a major problem in this country. Um, like you said, you really can't fire them and they're there, Mm -hmm. whether the president is there for four years or eight years, they're going to be there after the president. But what can we do to negate the influence of outsiders like George Soros? Is that going to be like one of your focus or or not? Well, we certainly want um, we want uh, integrity in the government. We want to reduce the power of the federal government so that 
um, it's less susceptible to to any um, influence like that in the first place. Um, and we we want to uh, you know I think the next conservative president, if you read our policy book mandate for leadership, we talk about you know the the alliance that exists between um, people who get government money and people inside the bureaucracy. Um, you know, whether it's it's foreign aid or grants to left-leaning organizations that um, that seek to uh, curry favor with an administration or, you know, the, the all, all these supposedly nonpartisan institutions that receive millions of taxpayer dollars, many of it, uh, many of those institutions are already, um, you know, have plenty of billionaire donors. So I think the next conservative president will want to look at uh, some of those those issues, um, and we talk about that in in our policy book mandate for leadership. Uh, and you, you've identified a key issue, which is that um, you know we we can vote for a new president, uh, but if we're going to get what we voted for, we actually need to be prepared to to do the hard work. And um, it's actually not like running a business. You know, you need to have people on the inside of the bureaucracy who are uh, fighting for the policies that, that the that the president's advancing. Yeah, and just make sure that the, all the letters on the keyboard stay in place. Remember when, when Obama left yeah. the White House? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you have up on the website also is the advisory board, the Project 2025 mm-hmm. advisory board. And you mentioned that earlier in the interview that you said it's over 78 agencies. Uh, tell us about these people that you brought together and how you are helping to coordinate with them to get this done. And I see that there's things that you put up events and classes and other things that they have if they want to be involved in that specific yeah. agency, uh, advisory uh, member. Yeah, so we uh, it's, it's a very exciting project because we've really – unified the conservative movement. Um, and what I mean by that is we now have more than 80 organizations that are part of Project 2025. Um, there are organizations that are located, these are all conservative right of center organizations. Some are located in DC, some are located in other parts of the country. We've got state-based groups. We've got groups that focus on religious liberty. We've got groups that focus on labor policy. We've got um, groups that are also in the in the personnel space when it comes to staffing issues for the conservative movement. We've got libertarians and social conservatives, and we've got um, uh, people, you know, from all parts of our movement. We don't agree on every single issue, uh, and the point of this project is not to to have little disagreements amongst ourselves. The point of this project is to speak as a conservative movement and to to build this infrastructure on the right. Um, to 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 run presidential transitions, and so um, we, you know we've got uh, we've got groups of students, and we've got groups of senior citizens, and we've got just about everybody uh, on the on the right side of the political spectrum has come together for Project 2025. And at the Heritage Foundation, where I work, we are using our organizing power um, to convene the movement and really uh, make sure that um, that we're all rowing in the same direction. And what I wrote in my article was that, you know, if you're interested in um, in deconstructing the administrative state, taking down the deep state, 
you should check out our, uh, our list of advisory board organizations, including, of course, the Heritage Foundation. But every, every one of our partner organizations has their own events and programming, their own uh, trainings, their own, you know, newsletters and things like that. And so you should get involved in conservative organizations generally because, um, we, you know, we've got a lot to offer uh, for people who are interested in working in politics and working for the next president. So I, w- I would just make a plug for our great advisory board members. We now have uh, more than 80, and it, it keeps growing. Uh, hopefully we'll be at uh, 100 before too long here. Let's just hope they don't kill it like they did the Tea Party, even though I still run mine here. <laughs> now 14 years, no, 14, going on, God, almost 15 years. Next year it'll be 15 years. Holy cow, wow. it alive. Well, we've, we've got a lot of Tea Party folks involved in this project, and I think it's a great um, tribute to the grassroots energy that the Tea Party brought. Yeah, I, mean, it, it, I think it finally woke up middle, middle America in a great way. And people thought we went and hid after the IRS came after us. Uh, but no, we're still around. We may have different names. We may have joined other groups, but we're still there in the fight. And thankfully, you at Heritage are putting everyone together to work as one whole unit. And as you said, we may not agree on every issue, but the main thing is to move this nation forward and bring it back from the left, from the dark side, <laughs> as we say. But you said the most important That's thing right. people can do to help is spread the word. That's right. Um, we, you know, this is a call to action. It's a call to action for Mr. and Mrs. Smith to come to Washington Again, we're candidate neutral. We don't speak for any candidate, but uh, we want people to know uh, about Project 2025. You know, if you read what the liberal media is saying about us, they're very they're they're on to us. Uh, they're they're very alarmed by this project because they know that we've actually gotten together and that two can play this game, uh, and that uh, you know the next conservative president uh, hopefully will be able to operate the the executive branch just as smoothly as um as the current president has done and so we need our people also to know about this project we need to we need people to know that help is on the way you know if you like uh the way the country's going if you feel like you're better off than you were four years ago um if you think there's no waste in the government well then uh project 2025 is not for you but if you think we can do better um if you're hurting under the the inflation that we have under the invasion of our country at our southern border under the weaponized government that's targeting conservatives um you know if 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 those are the things you care about then project 2025 is for you and we're going to um take down the administrative state after the president uh on january 20th of 2025 says so help me god absolutely and i love it the guys you guys come on the show um Corinne is happy to send me someone each week from the from the Heritage, and I actually say got to meet Hannah Davis when I was up in D.C. Uh, last month with the Fair pushing oh, for HR two, because she's working now over at Fair. She's sweet. She is such a wonderful, wonderful person. I was glad to finally get to meet her. I still want to run into Hans von Spakowski. <laughs> I still want to run into. Oh him. yeah, we've we've got great colleagues at Heritage. Hans and I just did an event together last week and. Uh, just, just it's a it's a real pleasure to work with so many brilliant people and 
uh, such a, a diverse range of expertise on all these different issues. Yeah, and thank God for the hard work the Heritage Foundation does do. Um, I urge everyone to at least visit the page, read some of the articles in the Daily Signal, and see what you guys are doing to help bring sanity and bring the Constitution into uh, play here. Good Lord, it was written for a reason, and it's not, it's not flexible. I'm sorry, this is, this is the foundation that this building, this United States is built upon. If this Constitution crumbles, our nation crumbles. And thank you for the hard work you guys do. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me on, on this program. Oh, it is our pleasure, and we welcome you back at any time. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Uh, check out Spencer Creighton. Creighton? I just said his name wrong. I'm going to get slapped. I'm going to get slapped <laughs> at heritage.org and Project 2025. And get involved. Get involved. We will be back next week. We have former Congresswoman Anne-Marie Bueller, uh, who will be, uh, again, I messed up the last name. Buckler is her last name. God, I can't even talk today. Ah, the weekend's <laughs> coming. I'm waiting for my next scotch. Uh, so we will be back next week, Curtis. Uh, hopefully Mark Tapscott will be back with us. He sent me a text to apologize. He was cleaning his gutter and forgot he was supposed to be on the show. <laughs> so I'll, yeah. I'll tell him when he comes back next week. Uh, and then the, we've got more people lined up. Uh, I've got a lot more people lined got, up already. Going into the new year, too. Governor Jennifer Carroll. Oh, yes. Jennifer Carroll. She'll yeah. be on in, in two weeks. Yes. Uh, so we've got ourselves lined up. But thank you, everyone. I'm sorry we had technical difficulties, but I'm going to try to get that all worked out. And I say good night and God bless. All right. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.